Hello and welcome to Talking Golf with Gary. This week, the dynamic Gary will introduce you to all kinds of topics pertinent to this past week of golf. He'll give you some tidbits of information as what's coming up and take you on a tour around the world for all of the golfing highlights. Sit back and enjoy Talking Golf with Gary. And hello and welcome to another edition of Talking Golf with Gary. It's a little late this week. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, so I hope you'll bear with me. We're going to do a quick recap. Uh, not really even a recap. Just, just Let's congratulate the winners for this week. And we have a couple of first-time winners on the tours. And uh, again, on the PGA Tour, Sebastian Munoz of Columbia... Uh, made a birdie putt on the 18th hole to force a playoff and then beat Sunjai M with a par in the first extra hole to win the Sanderson Farms Championship for his first PGA Tour victory. So congratulations to uh, Sebastian Munoz on the PGA Tour. And Rocco Mediate birdied his last two holes for six under 64 and won the Sanford International on Sunday. And we haven't heard a lot from Rocco uh, in the last few years. If you remember, he was the one that had that epic um, playoff with in the U.S. Open with Tiger Woods uh, oh, about 14 years ago, I guess now. And Tiger won that with uh, on a broken leg, actually. So congratulations to Rocco Mediate. It's his fourth PGA Tour Champions victory and his first since the Senior PGA Championship in 2016. On the European Tour, Danny Willett won his second Rolex Series title as he held his uh, uh, held on to the lead and held his nerve to overcome John Rahm in a dramatic final round of the BMW PGA Championship. So uh, Danny Willett with a big win, his second on the tour. The ladies were off this week, but uh, Nellie Corda, American Nellie Corda, shot a 467 to win the Lacoste Ladies Open de France for her first ladies European tour title. So congratulations to Nelly Corda on getting her first European Tour title because she's won here in the States uh, plenty of times. So uh, that's the uh, the quick recap because, uh, as I said, I'm a little under the weather and I have a great guest scheduled, so I want to get right to him as quick as possible. So let's take a quick break. And uh, be back right after this. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com. And I'm joined this week by uh, actually uh, a a double threat here this week because we've got a PGA teaching professional on here as well as the owner of the Impact Snap and www.impactsnap.com website. He's been a golf instructor since 1993. He's a four-time PGA Teacher of the Year. He is Marty Nowicki. He is the uh, full-time pro at the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in upstate New York. 
and he's on the line. And Marty, welcome to uh, Talking Golf with Gary. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so, Marty, what I like to ask everybody when they first come on is, first off, how did you get started in this wonderful game of golf? Uh, boy, that, uh, that happened when I was around 10 years old. My parents were not golfers. I grew up, uh, in a suburb of Syracuse, New York. And, uh, my across the street neighbor did play golf. Uh, I grew up playing baseball, basketball, football, but basically as kids, we played whatever sport was in season. Right. And, uh, my across the street neighbor did play golf. And, uh, he and his dad, uh, brought me with him one time. I kind of liked it and, uh, my parents picked up a cheap set of golf clubs at a garage sale, and I went off and played nine holes alone one time and shot 63 my first time out, and I was like, <laughs> okay. And every time it kept getting a little better. 63 for nine holes, that is. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Well, that's my joke. I said I shot a 63, and then I played the second hole. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But okay, so tell us a little bit about the uh, impact snap. Uh, you uh, really developed this, and it was uh, invented by uh, uh, a friend of yours. Uh, tell us a little bit how it all came about. So Kelvin Mayahira uh, invented the impact snap in 2010, and I had met Kelvin in 2011. Uh, I had, I've had the pleasure of working with and learning under a lot of great teaching professionals. Jim McLean is a great mentor and friend. Uh, Jim Hardy, I learned a lot under Mike Bennett and Andy Plummer. And I just felt that in my teaching, there was always something that was missing. It's like I wanted to be able to teach a, like a young kid how to just smash the ball. You know, how, how do you mm -hmm. teach a kid to hit it 300 yards? <laughs> and I stumbled on... Um, Kelvin Mayahara, a friend of mine, introduced me to a couple of his videos or articles. And I had a research partner at the time who's still a good friend. And I immediately emailed him a copy of this article. And I said, geez, I think I stumbled on what we're looking for. Kelvin was just a, a very unique thinker. He uh, came up with some great theory, not just in golf, but in athletics in general. Uh, what he coined the spine engine golf swing where how you use uh, different muscle groups and different parts of your body that maximize the speed that you can, that you can uh, swing a golf club at. Mm -hmm. So I started uh, some online tutorials with Calvin. He lived in Hawaii. I lived in Syracuse. So we, we would Skype every couple months, and I'd ask him a zillion questions, and he would take me through how he looked at a golf swing. And it was just fascinating to me at the time. And in 2011, uh, a friend of mine down in New York uh, had arranged for Calvin to come to Long Island for a day of training. And we had five or six instructors that all basically hired him for a day. And then the next day he was going to do a golf school up at West Point. And um, so I said, yeah, I'll, I'm coming down. Uh, no problem. And I ha happen to have a couple students of mine that knew what I was doing, and they're like, hey, he's going to be at West Point. Any chance he can drive a few more hours up, and we'll hire him for the day at turning. So I said, yeah, I can arrange that. So I had the pleasure of, of learning from him for a day down on Long Island, and then 
teaching with him and more or less watching him teach a couple of my students uh, another day. And, you know, he had invented the impact snap as well as a few other training aids uh, at that point. And I was using most of his aids in my training. And inevitably, when I would put an impact snap in someone's hand, they, they would always ask me, geez, how do I get my hands on one of these? I'm like, well, why don't you just take that, pay me for it, and I'll order some more. <laughs> so I was ordering the product, you know, 10 at a time from Calvin, and Calvin was making them in Hawaii with the help of a couple college kids. And, uh, you know, I started getting, like, random emails saying, hey, I see on your website you've got an impact snap. Is there any chance you have one that I can buy? And it, it started happening with a little more frequency, you know, once a month, twice a month type yeah. thing. And, and a few a few years into it, I, I was like, you know, let me just check out if impactsnap.com is even available. And it was. So in 2014, I purchased the domain and I emailed Calvin and we had kept conversations going and I kept ordering products from him. But I, I said, look. I've got the domain. I own it now. If you want it, you can have it because it's your product. But if you don't want it, I think there's a marketing idea here. And he said, go for it. Have fun. So I said, perfect. I'll take 50 right-hand units. And I spent a couple weeks setting up the site. Um, and a couple weeks in, a couple weeks later, I ordered another 50 units. And I was testing the site, and it was ready to launch. Uh, this would have been like November of 14, uh, 2014. And, um, I called him, uh, or I emailed him one more time before I was launching. I'm like, you know, I don't want to run out of product. So I ordered a hundred more units <laughs> and Calvin literally called me within 10 seconds of that email. <laughs> and he said, oh, look, I have so much stuff going on. There's no way I can make, you know, these fast enough for you. Is there any way you can just buy me out, buy all my inventory and pay me a royalty and just make this your own baby. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So I, I bought out Kelvin. Um, he shipped all of his inventory. I paid it off. Um, and, and basically with that, I got his recipe of how he made an impact snap and people, you know, so I set up shop in my own garage. I had band saws and, and sanding belts and, uh, you know, drills and all, all this crazy. My wife almost <laughs> killed me. But, um, you know, I would literally teach eight, nine hours a day. I'd go home and I'd work another seven, eight not hours a day just trying to get ahead of in the event that, you know, something crazy happened and this product took off. Yeah. So, um, you know, people would always ask, well, how, how long does it take you to make one impact snap. I'm like, well, to make one impact snap takes about 40 hours, but you could probably make a hundred of them in 41 hours. And Calvin, uh, had a very elaborate way of constructing the impact snap. He had around 30 steps of production. And, uh, I was fortunate. One of my students at the time purchased an impact snap and he was a, uh, retired, uh, surgeon who happened to just enjoy metalworking uh -huh. as a hobby. Right. So he took, he took apart his impact snap, looked at how I was making it, and he came in one day and he goes, you know, I got an idea for you with this impact snap. <laughs> you know, if you just did this one little thing, and here I made up a few of these, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them, and he's like, if you did this and this, 
it would probably save you a lot of time. So I, I looked at that. I was like, wow, you're right. It, it did save me a lot of time <laughs> where I could, you know, make a few extra in that same 41 hours. Um, and I found a local company uh, to then make the product that he had designed. And, um, you know, I got a price quote. They asked, you know, I asked if, if there was a minimum order. They said, yeah, a couple thousand would be, you know, suitable. And, you know, we're talking about a $1 piece. Um, and so I was like, great, I'll, t- I'll take a couple thousand, knowing how much time it would save me right. in production. And one of the engineers of this local company called Mance Brownell uh, in upstate New York, he, he goes, you know, I think I might have designed an easier way for you to make these things <laughs> where we could just, uh, instead of you buying this one piece from us, we could make, create a whole different piece. We'll do the tube and the stem, and you'll, you'll basically be able to screw them together. And I was like, can you get me a price quote? And he said, yeah. And as soon as I saw the price quote, I ordered 3000 of each of them. And, the, you know, the, the rest is history because uh, right around that time, it was a day, it was a Friday afternoon in, like, December, and uh, I, was, I was scheduled already to sh- have a booth at the PGA Merchandise Show, and I'm busy in my garage working away, and all of a sudden, and I sat down my phone for a couple hours, and when I picked my phone up, we had, like, 40 orders. Wow. And I was like, that ne- that never happens. I didn't know what was going on at the time, but I, I uh, got an email that night from Hank Haney uh, touting my product. He had mentioned it on his radio show on XM Radio, and a bunch of people ordered the product. So uh, Hank and I started talking because Hank had an interest in, in really buying the company. And I knew how much work I had put in at the time, and uh, at the time, I just wasn't ready to hand it over, <laughs> right. so to speak. It was still and, your baby. Um, so I ended up meeting with Hank down at the PGA show and Hank's business partner. And we had some nice talks. And Hank happened to invite me onto his show while I was at the PGA merchandise show. And when I got off the air with Hank uh, and walked back to my booth, it was like the scene from uh, Trading Places at the end of the movie when they were, you know, bidding on the orange juice futures. It was, <laughs> we had, you know, 70 people around our booth. Everyone's trying to buy one, see how we use it. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've since created a nice PowerPoint presentation called the birth of a training aid company. And it's, it's, been, it's been a fun ride ever since. Um, Excuse but, me. Yeah, the, the following day I went on with Carl and Dennis Paulson on their show and sales kept go, continuing to go. And it, it's funny because the, the last day of the PJ Merchandise show, a lot of people are, are looking for deals like, hey, you know, can I buy one? at a cheaper price. Right, and right. I, I, I had to tell everyone, no, I needed that inventory <laughs> because I had to get up north and create labels and ship them all out. And um, so it was just, it was a fun, it was a fun journey and the journey still goes and we've, we've gotten our systems down better. We've moved out of my garage a few years ago and leased, leased some space uh, in a suburb of Syracuse. And, um, I've got a few employees that they basically make them every week and I handle the marketing and, uh, basically the back office stuff. And I've, I've since hired, uh, uh, or 
I am, uh, enroll the services of another marketing professional who's become a good friend and has helped us continue to grow. Well, it doesn't hurt to have Hank Haney in your 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 corner. I think uh, that's the. <laughs> yeah, and we've been. I've been very fortunate because uh, Hank Haney has been a great champion, and we've advertised a lot on his show. And I've I've sent him some bonus checks. Actually, when he when we first started talking, uh, an attorney friend of mine said, "Look, you got to pay. Figure out a way to pay him a commission, but not send him a ten ninety nine. And that way, if he tries to invent the product on his own, you'll have, you know, probable cause if he, you know, creates your product. So I ended up, I I, uh, was in the process of patenting the device, which I do now own the patent and the trademark impact snap. Um, And then uh, Bobby Clampett, Mike Bender, Jim McClain, they all started liking the product and using the product and i've since met them and i've done some some work with all of them uh at various golf schools using the product and then i've got a host of top instructors around the country that uh use the product daily in their training and you know between xm radio advertising on the golf channel and other media publications uh it certainly helps to have top instructors like the product and use the product in their teaching. This so is, that, that's been a huge help. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so uh, what does the Impact Snap exactly teach? So we call it a release trainer. So if you think of the word release, release uh, for a right-handed golfer what you are releasing is the angle between your lead forearm, which would be your left arm and the shaft. And in golf, because the club face is a flat object and the golf ball is a round object, the wrist must do three things. It must uh, cock and uncock to some degree. It must flex or bow. People would refer to that as, and it must, supinate or rotate in a counterclockwise fashion for a, for that be your left arm supinating and barring what type of grip you employ. There are various measures, uh, that those motions have to occur. And the way the product is designed is a, uh, a tube with a sliding weight inside the tube, a stopper at the end. So the weight won't go shooting out the barrel. It's got a square grip for the sole purpose of people learning that the heel pad of the lead hand uh, gets a good feel right on top of the grip. Mm -hmm. It has a bar extending out the butt end bent at proprietary angles that are mentioned in our patent and a golf ball attached to that. And basically, if used properly, the golf ball that's on this little uh, bent bar will hit the base, the bottom of the trail form if, if it's done correctly. Mm-hmm. And Kelvin had designed this thing based on uh, Tiger Woods hitting his stinger in Tiger Woods' prime years, where he would take a four iron and hit it 260 yards on a frozen rope, and Tiger's wrist worked in a very peculiar fashion. So the way Kelvin designed it, uh, was to reproduce those wrist conditions. 
And when used properly, uh, the ball will hit the trail form. And if it's not used properly, if people are just flipping or rolling or twisting their arms, uh, then the ball will not touch the base of the trail form. And, you know, I think growing up, taking the few instructions that I had, mm-hmm. you know, how do you play the game? A lot of people think that the word release is, well, your wrists have to roll over. Yeah. And that's really not, that's really not what they're doing at all. And if the, if the guys on the PGA tour were just rolling their wrists over, they, they'd have to back the gallery ropes up another 50 yards and people would be getting killed every week. <laughs> uh, so if the wrist conditions remain stable, then the club face and the shaft will remain stable and people truly learn how to compress a golf ball or take their divot after the ball. And that's really um, what I'm happiest about over the last five years is how many people have reached out saying, wow, I've never hit golf balls like this before. And we've since created uh, like a seven-day training program. It's free of charge on our website, impactsnap.com. Basically, you know, here's what I'd like for you to do on day one. Here's what I'd like for you to do Mm -hmm. on day two and three and four and so on so that we can grow into what this feels like. And frequently when I'm teaching, um, I'll put the device in in a student's hands and I'll get them to where they need to be. And they look at me like I have three heads, like, really? (laughs) And I'm normally videotaping this at the time. And I'm like, yeah, let's just do that a couple times. And I'm videotaping it. And then I show them what Tiger would look like or what Bryson DeChambeau or, or Dustin Johnson or Jordan Spieth or Justin Thomas. And they all look very similar uh-huh. with how stable their wrist positions are. And it's irregardless of the type of grip that they employ. So if you had a weaker grip, like a John Rahm or a Gary Woodland, well, you'd see a little more bowing or flexion at impact. And if you had a stronger grip, like a Dustin Johnson, well, then you'd just see a flatter left hand, uh, left hand, uh, left wrist position uh, at and after impact. And I, I just tell people all the time, like, look, film yourself and tell me what your wrist look like uh, three inches after the ball leaves the club. Because most most amateurs, the wrists are bent, uh, their elbow is bent, they're twisting, and that's why they basically uh, you lose the stability of the shaft and. The club face shouldn't be rotating while it's hitting a ball. Think uh-huh. of think in terms of a hockey puck uh, or a hockey stick hitting a puck. Those sticks really aren't rotating all that much. In a golf club, when you really look at what elite players are doing, the club face is not rotating for quite some time uh, before the strike, during the strike, and after the strike. And I think we have a society of golfers that somehow, similar to me when I was growing up, we were all convinced that you had to twist your forearms uh-huh. to, you know, do something, and that's right. really not the case. It's it's almost like you 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 need to, or we think you have to twist them to get that extra boost of power. Uh, at least in my mind, I don't know if I'm on the right track here, but uh, uh, and flip the not not exactly flip the wrist, but break the wrist at the proper moment. Like almost like throwing the club head at the at the ball. So, and what this device does, what the sliding weight does, is it uh, adds an audible feature where if you release it early, you'll hear the click before you would get the impact. Right. And you want to hear the you want to hear the click 
after the point of the ball. And you also have a checkpoint of the bar, the extension bar with the ball on the end hitting the bottom of the trail form. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of foolproof where if you do what we're asking you to do, you're going to hit better golf shots. Now you mentioned about the wrists and uh, uh, it's based on uh, sort of like Tiger's wrist location. Uh-huh. Will this work for all ages, you know, like for uh, junior golfers and, and for senior golfers that may have some limitations uh, with the flexibility in their wrists and, and whatnot? It, it certainly will. And we have had, I've had kids as young as four and five years old use it successfully. And I've had uh, senior adults well into their 80s and early 90s use the product and find benefit from it because there's not just a full swing application there's a chipping and pitching application there's Mm -hmm. a putting application and uh you know i would just invite people visit impactsnap.com and uh you know check out our videos they're free of charge and um you know i think uh i think people will learn just from watching the videos let alone using the product Mm mm-hmm and you've got a slew of videos on YouTube as well, instructional videos that everybody should be checking out. <laughs> well, I do. You know, it's funny because uh, the more things that you give away for free, it seems to me the more you're able to monetize things. And uh, so we've elected to put out a lot of uh, what I think is free, valuable information on various parts of the golf swing you know how how do, how do you turn in a golf swing mm-hmm. what uh, what's happening after impact how do you load properly in the back swing and and i've had the opportunity to create some content with some uh i'll call them uh uh internet influencers um we just spent uh, a day with eric cagorno who's got a very growing audience in the lehigh valley I was with Brendan DeVore out in Los Angeles. I was with George Gankis out in Los Angeles and Mike Bender down in Orlando. So we've got a lot of instructors that like the product, that use the product, that find the value in the product. And, you know, we're all into continuing to learn. It's not that I have all the answers, but I've got a lot of them, <laughs> and, and <laughs> it's funny that the, the, the more answers you have when when someone does stump you and you need an answer, you know who to call to get the answer. So that's kind of the nice network that I've grown over the last uh, twenty five years of teaching. And it certainly is, and and uh, I'd like to grow a network like that because I need all kinds of help in my game. <laughs> well. We'll 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 arrange a, a separate uh, phone call for for helping you over the phone. I don't I don't know if you have enough time. <laughs> it's just um, so now in in your your teaching uh, methods. Uh, just to get off the product for a second, what is the most problem that you see? with uh, usual high handicappers? 
Well, first and foremost, I've created a simple system of measurement that all starts at impact. Your impact is either good or it's not. If it's good, then the ball learns to repeat itself. Take a 50-yard pitch shot. You have your pitching wedge, your gap wedge, and I say, okay, Gary, I want you to hit it 50 yards 10 times in a row, and I want the ball to do the same thing every time. Most amateurs, and certainly the higher the handicap, because the risk conditions are constantly changing where the ball is, mm-hmm. they, don't, they, they do not have the ability to, to repeat that pattern. So basically, you know, first order of business is measure what impact looks like. And then the second order of business is post-impact, when, when the hands or the club is about parallel to the ground or think in terms of the hands are about waist high in the follow-through, both arms are straight, the hands are about waist high, what does all that look like? When you look at good players, both arms are relatively straight at that time. They're not bending, they're not twisting, they're not turning, they're not shortening. They're literally both straight, and the club uh, lines up with the lead arm. And the closer one gets to that alignment, the easier it is to formulate a pattern. And I constantly am telling people on lesson number one, uh, look, we're just going to find this checkpoint. And it's a pass-fail. You either find it or you don't. We don't care what the ball does because for most people, they've never felt that before. And I think the average 25 handicap could become a five handicap from 50 yards and in if they were just diligent and knew what to do. Um, and that's, that's where good training and certainly certain, uh, not just our product, but there are other products that definitely help develop that skill set. And look, if you can competently pitch a ball over a bunker, land it on a green with a little check, uh, and repeat it, four out of five times or eight out of 10 times, I think the average person really, A, would benefit a lot from it. And I don't think they really care what the score would be because they'd be hitting crisper shots. And that, I think that's what every golfer wants. That's, I don't think they really care much about their score, but they want to hit solid shots. And that's everyone has that one shot on the 16th or 17th hole. Geez, that one was more solid than anything I've hit all day. And that's what keeps them coming back. Well, we have a formula to help people repeat that. And similar to, to driving a car, uh, you know, I, I like starting in first gear, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's your 20 and 30 yard pitch shots. Yeah. And then second gear, maybe 50 to 60 yards, you know, before, you know, everyone at the driving range whips out their driver first and swings away and they have no clue the, the only feedback most golfers have is, geez, what did mm-hmm. the ball just do? And the feedback I like for people to have is, what did your wrists and arms just do? And how did your body accommodate you finding those positions? Mm-hmm. And if they have a couple of simple checkpoints, then, and, and what I call uh, the longest radius possible. So if, if you just hit a pitch shot and stopped everything at waist high on the follow through, both arms straight and the club in, in alignment with the lead arm, half the battle is gone is done now it's now it's filling in the little details if you want to hit a little draw or if you want to hit a little cut or if you want to hit a higher shot uh and then we can get into okay how does your how does your body have to work to accommodate that position 
So the pelvis and the spine have to do certain things in order for the arms to to do what I'm asking them to do. It's very interesting, and it's you know it's interesting that you said about uh, getting more of a consistent strike. Because this year I I said, uh, especially the last time I went out, I went out on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the time before that I was topping the ball and everything, and I said the last time, the next time I go out, I just want. I don't care what the score is. I just want to try to make consistent contact, and that's all I'm interested in. I didn't care where the ball went or anything. I just I wanted to try to avoid the topping and and all that kind of nonsense. And I I, I mean I you know I didn't I, I did still top once or twice, but uh, I did cut it down. And I was maybe it was just a matter of focus at that point. Well, it. it, it... I would like that. I would like to think that is the case, but um, if you actually took your iPhone out or cell phone out and videotaped, basically, if, if the club in the left arm, you're a right-handed golfer, correct? Yes. Okay. So if the club in the in the left arm are in alignment, okay, then that distance, the measurement from your left shoulder to the club head, could not possibly get any longer. It can only get shorter. Okay. Uh huh. And that measurement is what we're looking for just after impact. And most okay. people that top the ball, and you can visit our YouTube page, Impact Snap, uh, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And we actually have a, a frequently asked, geez, why am I topping the ball video? And literally, it's the radius, the distance from the left shoulder to the end of the club is either getting shorter. Okay, as you're approaching the ball, <laughs> yeah, or your body, or your body is doing something where the club uh, is not going to be close to the ground when it hits when it hits uh, the ball. Uh-huh. So you're you're either extending your radius before the ball, and then it has to get shorter as you're going through the ball. We call that early release or casting. And there are only a couple reasons why anyone would top the ball. So, and kind of what I, what I tell people, especially people that are new to the game, my job is to get you and the ground to get along. <laughs> and once you and the ground, once you and the ground get along and you understand that hitting the ground is a good thing, then, then we put a ball there and the ball gets in the way of the club tracking toward the ground. <laughs> and when that happens, you really start hitting solid shots. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I never take a divot. I, <laughs> yes. And that, <laughs> Yeah, that's and a lot of people think, geez, the grass is so nice. I don't want to take a divot. But um, you watch uh, any golf tournament, you know, they're, they're playing uh, this week. Um, you just watch how much dirt and grass yeah. flies when yeah. they're hitting iron. I know. Because yeah. they, they are, and, uh, you know, they, they are, they, and that's why they're as good as they are. I, I because think. Because they, they understand that hitting the ground gives you leverage over the ball. Yeah. I think part of my problem was I, you know, New York. You worked down here in Long Island. I actually grew up in Queens, New York, which is New York City, uh, or yeah. you know, borough of New York City. And I played on some of those municipal courses, and they were pretty not in great shape, and the ground was very hard. And uh, you know, some parts you'd be in there wasn't any grass, and I think I just learned to to hit hit my irons without touching the ground and um not touch not 
I shouldn't say not touching the ground, right. but but not taking a divot. You're not more taking a divot. Yeah, the top of the yeah, ground. yeah, right, right. And it's you know over the years, I'm 66 now. It's it's become very difficult to relearn. That. I keep trying, but <laughs> well, we'll we'll do some off the air stuff where we'll start at 25 okay. yards and we'll get you to compress right. some shots and. It's funny because, you know, Ben Hogan grew up down in South Texas right. uh, on the hard baked clay, and that's where he learned how to hit it. He's like, man, if I can compress it off of this stuff, once he found grass, it, he was like, wow, this is really this easy. This is now. easy, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny how you're, <laughs> hey, you've different view, you know, how it comes about with the things. But we could talk for hours, I think, about the golf swing. And uh, But just remind the people once more again about uh, where they can pick up the impact swing. And uh, folks, if if you're listening and uh, you go to YouTube, there is a slew. Marty has a slew of uh, great videos there about the impact swing, uh, snap, and also uh, just some teaching videos. So go check that out. Marty, uh, tell them about the website. So you can find us at impactsnap.com. That's one word, um, impactsnap.com. Watch our training videos. Uh, if you're interested in the product, I've set up Talking Golf as a coupon code, and anyone that uses Talking Golf uh, in the coupon code will receive a 10% discount. Oh, well, that's very nice of you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Gary. And uh, we'll be sure to keep uh, talking about the product here because I think it, it looks like it's a terrific uh, product. And uh, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on today. And Gary, good thank you very much. And, uh, you know, as far as the product goes, I, I try to never tout it. Uh, I, I try and let other people tout the product and, you know, when Hank Haney and Mike Bender and Bobby Clampett and Jim McClain and, uh, tout it and Golf Digest has given us the uh, best uh, training aid four years in a row, um, I let them do the talking yeah. for me and <laughs> and let and let the students report in the progress that they've had. So, well, thanks again for coming on the show, and uh, I really enjoy it. I hope you come on again and we can talk about the. Uh, Again, the impact snap, but again, uh, again about the swing and uh, you know what people can do to improve their golf game. Love to do it anytime. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Marty, and I'll be back right after this. Sponsor an ad on the podcast. Support our show and let people know about your business. Email us today. Now it's time to do the calendar. Now it's time to. Okay, and on the calendar for uh, the upcoming week, actually starting tomorrow in some uh, cases, the PGA Tour is in Napa Valley, and they've got the Safeway Open. Phil Mickelson is going to make his debut for the new season, and Kevin Tway is defending champion there. Uh, The Champions Tour are playing the Pure Insurance Championship, and Ken Tanagua is the defending champion in that event. The European Tour is our, is our, 
they will be playing the Alfred. I told you I don't feel good. The Alfred Dunhill Links Championship. Lucas Beauregard is the defending champion, and that is at the old course in uh, St. Andrews. And the LPGA are playing the Indy Women in Tech. Sung Hoon Park is the defending champion. That's in Indianapolis. And that is the calendar for this week coming up. Uh, and uh, lots of great action. So go check it out on the Golf Channel. I think they're going to have all of those showing there. Maybe. Uh, I don't know if CBS is going to have or NBC because the... Uh, uh, CBS with the football season, so I don't know whether or not what's going to be showing there, but uh, go check it out. It's on the Golf Channel, and uh, enjoy. And have a great week, everybody. I'm going to say uh, uh, that that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. I want to thank you for listening, and uh, sorry I'm such a mush, but uh, I'd like to ask you to subscribe on iTunes, uh, YouTube Springer, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen or watch the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. That helps me grow the show and expand to new listeners. And remember, until next time, as you walk down the fairway of life, you must smell the roses before you only get to play one round. Have a great week, everybody, and I'll see you next time on another edition of Talking Golf with Gary. 